number 772. Good morning. How are you all doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Considering this and that and the other thing. But I hope you all have a wonderful day. Uh, we're going to talk about something this morning that uh, is going to take us a little bit of time. Not time. It's going to cover a lot of ground. <laughs> so if you got a ballpoint pen, get ready to write. And if you don't, uh, just listen. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. I put God in there because without faith it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He is rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We must believe that God is, number one, and we must believe that He will keep His word, number two, His promises specifically. Uh, faith is imperative. Without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, that is Jesus, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. To those who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Faith came first. And then came discipleship. A person could become a Christian. The Hebrew author says in Hebrews chapter 2, rather, verses 6 through 8, one testified in a certain place saying, now this is a psalm of David, the 8th psalm, verses 4 through 6, and the Hebrew writer will quote it. What is man us what is the person that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him what makes us special is his question you have made him a little lower than the angels you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands you have put all things in subject subjection under his feet now we remember that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over everything. They were the king and queen of the world, you might say. But the Hebrew author now puts in his own thought in this matter. For in that he put all in subjection under man, he left nothing that is not put under man. And then he goes, but now we do not see all things put under him. When God created man originally, everything was placed under him. He had dominion over everything. And the Hebrew author acknowledges that, and then he says, but now we see something that's not in subjection to man any longer. What is, that thing he's talking about is death. The thing that people fear most. Death. Certain but the time of it is very uncertain. But people worry about death and what comes after. A lot of people worry about, is there really a judgment? Is there really condemnation? Is there really reward? What happens when a person dies? It's a question that puzzles everybody. We know that we have sin, been sinners, 
And because of our sins, we will receive the wages of eternal death, Romans 6.23. We know that's the case. And this is the thing all people would naturally fear, is certain eternal death. We see that all things are not put in subjection to man. Well, what is there? Verse 9, he says, but we see Jesus. Jesus stands in place as a, an avenue, <clears throat> a way to escape dreaded judgment. It is through Jesus that we can find forgiveness from our sins. We can find light to teach us how to walk the rest of our life. It's because of Jesus that we have hope of everlasting life. And not just us. Our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. We know that our grandchildren can have eternal life if they can believe in Jesus too. How do we underestimate the importance of faith we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, but he was crowned with glory and honor that he, by God's grace, should taste death for every one of us. That which we feared, we don't have to fear anymore because we see Jesus. We see, we see, did the people that the Hebrew author was writing to, did they see Jesus with their own eyes? Well, the answer to that question is most likely no. They've never seen him. So how can he say we see Jesus? And how could this be applicable to you and I today? We see Jesus. The word see, and you and I use it in a variety of ways when we stop and think about it. Somebody expresses an idea to you, and I see well, you don't see, what do you mean? I get it. I perceive what you're talking about. I understand what you're talking, I know what you're talking about. The word see is used in that sense very frequently in our own lives as well as throughout the scriptures. And this is what the Hebrew author's talking about. We see Jesus. We can see him in a variety of different ways and that's what I'd like to talk about for a few minutes this morning. We see him through the divine scriptures. They reveal Jesus. And I've got this part through six different lenses. I don't know how much I like that word lens, but uh, bear with me in my ignorance. That's the only thing I could come up with this morning. We see him through six different lenses or at six different stages, if you will. I don't know what you want to call it. First of all, we see Jesus before creation. And before God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was, that is, he existed. The meaning is Jesus is an eternal being. Before there was anything, there was Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, referred to as God or the divine nature. They existed before God created the heavens and the earth. So we see Jesus as one who existed before, Time as we know it began. In John 1, 1 through 3, read just a few moments ago, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. He was referred to as the, the Word before he came into the world. A word is an expression of an idea of a thought. Jesus was the expression or the idea, the thought, if you will, of God. He communicated with me people long ago in his capacity as the Word. But one day, the Word, who was God, became flesh. And without him, well, I'm sorry, I didn't finish verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, you think about that just a second. <clears throat> All things created were created through Jesus. And there's nothing that was created that he didn't create. Jesus was not a created being. He could not be. He couldn't create himself. Now, I'm just saying that because Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was a created angel. Okay? But how could that possibly be true? He created everything that, that exists. And without him, nothing was made that was made. He can't create himself. That's logically impossible. So he's an eternal person. He's a member of the Godhead. He's not an angel in the sense of a being. He may be in the sense of a messenger, but not in the sense of an angelic being. He's God himself. In verse 14, he said, The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we, John and the other apostles, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, when the beginning happened, was, past tense, the word. And the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things. He's talking about the divine creation that we see. All things were made through Him. He's the Creator, Jesus. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. He created every single thing we can see or know. He existed before time began. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven above, that are on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. By Jesus, all things were created. There's a number of other passages that state just as much. All things were created through him and for him. He created all things that exist, and he created all things that exist for himself. It was his will that you and I live. It was his will that you and I live knowing that we would sin. And that in order for us to obtain forgiveness of sin, knowing that he, Jesus, would have to become flesh and die on a cross... He understood the painful death he would have to experience, and he created us anyway. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. If that isn't love, I don't know what love is. Why didn't he just call the whole thing off? If he's going to have to go through all that to redeem us, 
from sin. We didn't have to commit in the first place. Why did he fool with us? It's because he loves us. There's much said in the scriptures about Jesus in the beginning. And from that, we can deduce rather easily that his love for us was enormous. He created the world with his eyes wide open, knowing what he would have to one day go through. And he still did it. I've always marveled at that. I don't know that I, well, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have that kind of love. But he did. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. <clears throat> Jesus existed prior to creation. We see Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. Sometimes he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, Genesis 16, 7 through 14. He's also referred to as the angel of God, Genesis 21, 17 through 19. He's also referred to the, as the rock that followed Israel through the wilderness. Jesus dealt with men throughout the Old Testament era. He didn't become flesh and deal with men. But he dealt with men by giving them guidance and support and knowledge. He was busy throughout the Old Testament period trying to build a people for God. And he worked diligently at that work. In Isaiah 63 and verse 9, he said, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them, speaking of Israel. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. He redeemed them when he redeemed you and I. He redeemed them when he died on the cross. Even though Israel was so rebellious, even though they fought so hard against God, the angel of God's presence was there, never giving up on them, never losing hope for those who were truly followers of God. We see Jesus in the flesh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not going to go through that because we all know that is the case. We see how Jesus behaved in a body. We see what he was like. We see what he liked, what he didn't like. We see how he spoke. Sometimes he spoke with anger. Sometimes he spoke with compassion. It depended on the situation. I've heard men mock the meek and lowly Jesus. He was. But he was much a man. He had a lot of courage. A lot of determination. He stood his ground. And he could not be moved. He was much a man. I've never met a man quite like the meek and lowly Jesus. No man that courageous in my life, including myself. He is without a doubt the most important personality that's ever lived throughout all of history. We see Jesus during the Christian period or age. We read about him 
still involved in the lives of his apostles and his disciples. He had been with them for three years or so. He taught them, he gave them examples, and then he had to leave them. But he came back and he instructed them. Their instructor was going to be the Holy Spirit, but the Lord wasn't going to resign himself to heaven. He was still going to be involved in the lives of his disciples. In Mark chapter 16, verses 19 to 20, after the Lord had spoken to his apostles, he was received up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. It sounds like after a hard day's work, you come into the house and sit down in your recliner, you relax and you chill out. This is what a person might think when they read a passage like this. But he did anything but chill out. They, the apostles, they went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord was working with them. He apparently didn't sit long in that chair. Because he was constantly involved in the lives of his apostles. Even though he was in heaven and they were here. He was still protecting them. He was still guiding them as long as they continued his work. He confirmed the word through the accompanying signs that were given by the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Today, the Lord works with us the same way. Nothing's changed. He does it now, though, through the scriptures. Many people here, those who are older mostly, have undoubtedly seen what they believe the providential hand of God at some point in their life, probably several times. We see where something occurred that might have made us angry at the time, and only to find out later that it worked out to our advantage. I was uh, one time, I should have gotten a promotion at work Nobody was more qualified than I was, and no mo nobody was more educated to step into it than I was. But I didn't get the job, and I got angry. I was angry with my employer, but i got to admit I was a little disturbed that the Lord didn't help me get a job. I needed the money. I had a family to take care of. Six months or so went by. And the company decided they didn't need that position after all. And the fellow who got the job was let go, but I was still working. Was it the providential hand of God? I think so. Couldn't prove it if my life depended on it. But I think so. I think there's been several times in my life where I've been able to look back over my history and see where the Lord may have help me along the way? I know he does because he said he will. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. We don't have to fear. Why? The Lord is our helper. And we don't have to fear. He said it. I believe it. Even though I don't ever know when it's really happening, I've always had occasion to look back over the last few incidents. 
And I can see where something that seemed bad actually turned out good. Some people call it lucky. I like to think of it as divine providence. Jesus is involved in our lives today as he was in the lives of his apostles when he walked on the planet. Being the person he is, he can do those things even though we don't understand how. How can the Lord work with all of us at one time when we all leave here and scatter into different places? How can he? I don't know how he can do that. But I know he can do all things. I know he said he would. And I trust him more than I trust my own self. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in verse 20 he said, I am with you always. Now these words are handed down to you and I today. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is, of course, the Christian age. He's going to be with his disciples until time ends. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us. He's given us that promise. And he frequently, in the lives of the people we read about on the pages of the New Testament scriptures, the Old Testament as well, we frequently see as the Lord guided these people in the paths of righteousness, in the paths of rightness, in the path of security and safety. Sometimes they had to get through a mess to get to safety. But he always made sure they did. He carried them, is what Isaiah said. He bore them through their griefs and troubles. In John 14, verses 13 and 14, we read, Whatever you ask in my name... That I will do. That's a promise. That's not a command. That's a promise. He's saying to me, John Mayberry, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Does he keep his promise? I believe he does. And whatever I ask, provided it's the right thing to ask for, he will do for me and for you that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He does what he does for us and at the same time glorifying the Father through our lives. Oh, boy, I could do a whole lesson on this one subject, but I can't. I still got to go. I've got, we got two more lenses to look through. If you ask anything in my name again, I will do it. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't be greedy. Be content with such thing as you have. Be satisfied with what you got. Don't fuss. Don't grumble. Be happy. You got water and manna. Be happy. Don't go around complaining. Don't keep asking for things you ain't got. Be happy with what you got. Instead of looking for what you haven't got. Don't be covetous. Be happy. <clears throat> well, I just said that, didn't I? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We read this uh, when it's spoken to Joshua back in Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua chapter 1. 
It's a promise made then. It's a promise made today. It's a promise we can count on. If we believe in Jesus, we've got to believe his promises are true or we've got a problem with doubt. And if I know I have a problem with doubt, the thing for me to do is to start working on that and acquire more faith so I can believe that these divine promises are true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. David said that in the 118th Psalm in verse 6. It's something we can count on. What can man do to me if the Lord is for me? We see Jesus as judge of the world. This is the fifth lens. This is the day most people fear. This will just be a day. We've talked about eternity. We've talked about the ages in the past 2,000 years. We've talked about the New Testament age. We've talked about the Christian age. And then comes the day when all people must give an account of their life, how they lived it. This is what makes people tremble. Death isn't so bad if there's nothing after death. But if there is a judgment, that's what makes people tremble. They don't want to meet their creator. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, Paul said, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day, one day, on which he, Christ, will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, that is Christ. He has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. If we believe that Jesus came forth from the dead, then we most certainly believe that there's going to be a day of accountability when we must give an account of ourselves. Those of you who do work reviews, you understand what it's like to be reviewed by your supervisor. He judges you in every area of your work. You might agree, you might not agree. And sometimes if you disagree, you can argue with him and he might even agree with you. But this isn't going to be that kind of a evaluation. This is going to be a day of judgment. And we either pass or we fail. It's that simple. I hate to say it, but it is that simple. You and I are taking a test. They talk about the time that uh, Jesus was being tested by the Jews to see if his faith would hold out. It wasn't Jesus who was on trial. It was the Jewish people that put him up there that was on trial. They were the ones being judged that day, not our Lord. And they failed the test that day. Throughout our lives, we are being tested. And on that last day, we will either fail or pass. If we fail, no need to argue because it's not going to go anywhere. 
His judgment will be perfect and there's not up for discussion. It'll be worst day in a person's life to hear the Lord tell them to go away. Nothing ever happened in life that was that bad than the day Jesus tells them to go away. They'll live in eternal torment. There'll be no friends. There'll be no hope. There is no second judgment. That'll be the end. And there's nothing, nothing worse than that. The day of judgment is getting closer every day we live. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, Paul said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word must means it's an imperative. It has to happen. It's as good as already happened. It just hasn't happened yet. We must show up and stand before Jesus Christ on that day. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to be judged by the things we've done as well as the things we believed. But when you stop and think about it, when a person believes in Christ, they're going to do what Christ would have them to do and abstain from doing the things that he would have them not do. It's, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. If I've done good, I'll be rewarded. But if I've done badly, I'll be rejected. It's up to me and you what we do or don't do. It's up to us every day we live. We're either glorifying God or putting him to an open shame. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. This is one test we don't have to anticipate what the questions might be because we have the answers. The answers are in the New Testament scriptures. All we've got to do is become acquainted with them and follow the direction they give us. And we will do well. And we will be ready to meet the Lord when he comes. We see Jesus eternally in heaven. In Romans 6 and 9, Paul said, We know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. It does us, but not Christ, because he died and was raised from the dead. This is what the Hebrews author was talking about. We see something. 
that is not in subjection to man. And that's death. Except for our, our grand sacrifice. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. The eternal being lives forever. I hold the keys of Hades and of death. He will be our judge. He won't be our savior that day. He's our savior today. In the judgment, he won't be Jesus that we know. He'll be Jesus to judge. And judgment will be executed according to his own word. Fair and balanced. John 14, verses 2 through 4, we read, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, I'm leaving here and going yonder to prepare a place just for you. And if I go, and he did, <clears throat> and prepare a place for you, I will come again <clears throat> to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We know who these folks are. These are the folks that believed in Christ. These are the folks that tried to walk with Christ the best they could. Not perfect. We never talk about perfection around here but doing the best they can according to the instructions we have. We don't learn everything in a day. Man, I've been spending, what, 45 or 50 years studying this book, and I'm still learning all the time. It's a, we're a work in progress. And if we stand before the Lord at this time, knowing that we are free of sin, we have hope of eternal life as long as we continue to live as we've been doing thus far. But if, if, if the Lord came back today and if I've got something hidden away from you all, if Jesus comes back today, you're all going to see my sin because it's going to be exposed for all. So what I try to hide now, I can't hide. Eventually it's coming out. Will Jesus come back today? I hope so. I really do. My back's killing me today. And I really wish he'd come back. John 16, 5, 10, and 28. But now I go away to him who sent me. Father sent Jesus. Now I'm going back to the Father. I go to my Father, and you, my apostles, you'll see me no more. I came forth from the Father, eternal, and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. He came here from heaven. He left here and went back to heaven. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. In scripture, we see Jesus in at least six different, what do you want to call it? I don't even know, ways. Number one, we see Jesus before creation. Two, we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Three, 
we see Jesus in the flesh. Four, we see Jesus during the Christian age. Five, we see Jesus on the day he will be judging the world. Six, we see Jesus living in heaven throughout eternity. When you think about Jesus, you got to look at it all. Because we learn something about him from every way we look at him. We learn more and more about this individual. And the more we know, the stronger our faith grows. And as our faith grows, so will our hope. In 119th Psalm, David wrote, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The entirety, all of it, everything, everything God has said is the truth. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, You shall know the truth, and that truth will set you free from the bondage of death. But we have to believe it. If your faith isn't what you want it to be, you can grow it. You can grow it. Mine isn't what I want it to be. I'm trying to grow it every day. You could try to grow your faith just as well as I can. We want to grow our faith. We want to know that the Lord approves of us because at this moment at least, I don't know what this afternoon holds, but at this moment at least, I know I know of no sin he would hold against me. What about you? Can you say that? You want to be able to say that. Because if the Lord comes back today, there's no second chances. When it's over, it's all over. 